glad to be here. I was a little nervous on the way over here from Saltry. I was like, ooh, will I make it in time? It's always the most nerve-wracking uh, period of, of campus pastor's life when you're going between campuses. Uh, but I'm, uh, I'm glad to be with you. Just to worship again, I, I said this at Saltry, but I think I said that he, this here last week. It's so good as the people of God just to be together, to worship together, to get our hearts centered on the one who loves us. Uh, and so we're going to be continuing this morning just looking in this series of the, our unrecognized king and helping ourselves see him. Because the truth is sometimes we don't recognize him. We don't recognize him in the, nas- the ways that we need to, the ways that he wants us to. So we're going to look together at that. And when I was thinking about being recognized this week, I was, uh, I was thinking of one of my guilty pleasures, which is a TV show called Britain's Got Talent. Um, how many of y'all watch America's Got Talent, Britain's Got Talent? That's more hands at South Street. I was devastated. I felt like such a moron I was up there. I used to love this show, though. It kind of came out, uh, I think, when I was, I was around about 20. It was before I'd left England. It kind of started kicking off. Uh, and what's fun about the show, right, is you get to see the judges kind of judging the heck out of uh, lovely people who just do not have very good talents. Uh, but one, I remember one in particular that really stood out to me was the audition of a woman called Susan Boyle. Oh, 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 we know where it's going. How exciting. That's satisfying when that happens, right? So Susan Boyle, here's Susan Boyle, real kind of salt of the earth British lady, really nice lady. She walks on the stage, but of course, both we as the audience and the judges behind their, their little panel, they kind of look, they don't really expect much. They don't see much in Susan Boyle. She's kind of a little goofy, uh, a little rough around the edges. They don't think that this is the one that's going to have the talent that they're looking for. So they kind of roll their eyes, they have some pleasantries, and then they let her go. And then Susan sings. And we all know from the reaction that you just had, we all know that the reaction, as soon as she opened her mouth, was that people recognized. They recognized that this woman, who did not look the part, who did not necessarily act the part, was in fact a woman of incredible talent. A woman whose voice was beautiful. Now the truth is, is Jesus is singing a song in the Gospels to us. And sometimes we don't recognize the beauty of it. Many people in Jesus' own day, they don't recognize the beauty. They see Jesus walk onto the scene. They hear the stories of where he came from. They said, this can't be the guy. This can't be the Messiah that we've all been waiting for, the figure who's going to set everything right in life. And honestly, even now, today in our day, though we're removed from some of the different religious and, and philosophical contexts that Jesus lived in, we too, we look at this story about this man, and we don't always recognize in him who he really is. I want to recognize him for the beautiful song that he's playing of the kingdom of God, of the love of God. So this purpose of this series is as we head towards Easter is to try and teach ourselves to do what so many in Jesus' day did not. And so many even in our day and in our churches do not, which is to recognize what kind of king this is, who this king is. To recognize him on his own terms and not ours. Often in his life, we talk about he was unrecognized, he was rejected. And over the course of the last few weeks, we've been reading these stories where Jesus performed a miracle, performed a sign, demonstrating who he was, talked about, and he usually kind of climaxed in this moment where he had an I am statement. We've had him say, I am the bread of life, come to nourish you. I am the the light of the well that has come to let you see. And this week, he comes to another one. But each time he makes one of these I am statements, religious leaders, the those that are kind of on the top of society, they look at Jesus, and as he says, I am, they say, no, you're not. You're not. They've called him illegitimate, which is a reference to his birth. Many people, because Mary was 
uh, a virgin when she was pregnant with Jesus. Many people accused her of being, uh, having an illegitimate pregnancy. So Jesus was born in sin. He's not worth listening to. They've called him crazy. They've called him sinful. And Jesus has answered their contempt with some contempt of his own. In John 8, he calls them children of Satan, which is about as brutal as Jesus gets. And this week, we're jumping into another conversation he has with the religious leaders. And what I want to point out is this one's coming right out of what we talked about last week. So if you went here or you've forgotten, last week, Jesus heals a man who's been born blind. And the religious leaders, they just can't accept this, that Jesus would do this. So they interrogate the man, they interrogate his parents, they end up throwing him out of the synagogue, out of his his church community, his, uh, his local community. And Jesus finds him, and he reveals himself to him, and this man falls down at Jesus' feet and worships him as God. So Jesus goes after the one that the religious leaders throw away. And so he's going to begin a conversation now about being a shepherd, about being someone who cares for those that need to be cared for. And this is important for three reasons. This identity of Jesus, this this unrecognized king as the good shepherd is important for three reasons. One, because it tells us he's a shepherd who calls us. Two, he's a shepherd who leads us. And lastly, he's a shepherd who dies for us. So I want to look at those things together. First, I want to talk about what it means that he is the shepherd that calls. The shepherd that calls. Now, do you all remember when you first got your very first cell phone? Does everybody remember that moment in life? I remember I was about 14 years old. It was right when cell phones were taken off. Like texting was a brand new thing. Uh, and you, could, uh, you had the predictive text where you had to push the buttons like 10 times to get one word out. And, but the, my favorite thing about the, my phone by far was that you could personalize the ringtones. In fact, for like my teenage years, the, the number one factor in which phone I got was how customizable are the ringtones. Like how far can you go with it? Can you put like a Coldplay song as the ringtone for someone? That's what I was interested in. And what I really liked about this is it was a really great way to screen calls, right? So if I was out with my friends, I didn't want to come home, you know, 14, 15 years old, my mom is going to call me on my cell phone to tell me to come home. And I hear that personalized ringtone, I know it's her, and I go on mute because I know it's her. Right? I know it's terrible. It's terrible. But a lot of us, right, we need, to, we need to pay attention because Jesus has a call for us too. Jesus has a really specific call in our life. And sometimes what's not funny is that we screen that call and we hit mute on it. Because we are familiar with his voice. We know his voice. Shepherd calls to us. This is what he says in John 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So it's a really interesting passage. There's a lot of this that they would have understood a little bit easier than us. They knew, for example, that shepherds did have very unique calls for their sheep. Uh, A shepherd could call to his sheep with his unique call, and the sheep would follow, and they would recognize it. Yet their problem that they have is probably the same one that a lot of us have. They don't understand, well, what's the transfer to Jesus? What's he saying about himself? Jesus is saying, I'm calling to you. I'm calling to you. In Isaiah, God told his people the following. Isaiah 43, 
But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. That's the call of the shepherd. A shepherd calling to those who belong to him, to come to him, to respond to his voice. That tells us a lot about who God is. First, it tells us if he is a God who calls us, then he desires for us to know him. He wants us to know him. There's been a view throughout history known as deism. And the general idea is this, is that God, in deism, he creates everything, he sets everything into motion, but once it's set up, he walks away. He doesn't want anything to do with it. It was actually really popular in history. Many of the founding fathers of America were deists. It's a very misguided view, and it's one, I think, that still holds onto our hearts today. We think of God as this God that, yeah, maybe he exists, maybe there is a creator who's made the heavens and the earth, but he's far off. He's distant. He doesn't want anything to do with me, and that's the opposite view of Scripture, which tells us that God calls to us, calls to us by name. If he calls to us by name, that means he knows us. Jesus knows us. It's, it's an intimate way of calling that he describes as calling us by name, right? You only call people by name that you know well. He doesn't say to us, hey, you, Weedo, come over here. He doesn't talk to us coldly like that. He calls us by our names. Tim Keller, one of my favorite pastors, he says, the fact that he calls you by name, it means that he knows you to the bottom of who you are. He knows every part of you everything that's ever traveled through your mind, everything that has ever been hidden in your heart, he knows it. For some of you, that's not nearly as intimidating as it should be. But God knows you. He sees you. You're not hidden from him. You're not an obscure detail to him. You are not far off beyond his notice. His gaze is fixed upon you and he's calling you by name. For others of you, that's almost too frightening to bear. You don't want to think about him calling you by name because if he knows you by name, if he knows you, if he's seen you, then perhaps you feel that in knowing you, he might reject you. He might have some unpleasant things to say. He might not want to be near to you. And I want you to know no matter who you are, what you've done, where you find yourself in life, the God of the universe calls you by name to know him, to see him as he has seen you, to know his name as he knows your name. Some of you have felt the call of God, but you've been unsure of how to answer. When you lose your cell phone, as every one of us in this room have done at some point in life, usually when it's on vibrate, um, what do you do? How do you figure that out? Usually I'll get Janelle, I'll say, I want you to call my phone, and then as your phone begins to buzz or ring or whatever, you listen, and you hear. You just, maybe you might hear the faintest buzz somewhere. In my house, it's always buried under its couch cushions for some reason. But you can hear it. And what do you do is you follow the sound of it. You listen to it and you follow the sound of it. You want to get nearer to it. You want to get closer to it so it gets louder. So that you feel like you're approaching the source of that sound. Well, the same is true about God's call. If you want to respond to his call, if you want to understand his voice, really take hold of his call, what you have to do is you have to follow him. You have to follow the sound of his voice. Follow it until you find it. See, the good shepherd's call, it isn't a generic call. It isn't just a calling out of whatever you're in. It's a calling to something, to follow him. Second Thessalonians, Paul's writing to the church and he said, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, 
Beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you. Sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. That's what he's called you to through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's called you to sanctification, to follow him, to grow in Christ-likeness. That's what sanctification means. It's just a, a fancy theological word for saying becoming more like Jesus, becoming more like the person that God created you to be in Christ, growing. Following him means obedience to the things he said and joining him in the things that he cares about. And the truth is, and this is the true about me, perhaps it's true about you, many of us want to answer the call of God, but we struggle because we don't want to follow the call of God. We want him to call us, but we struggle to follow. We trust ourselves too much. We're nervous about what it might mean. So what we do, keep doing is exactly what I did to my mom. We keep hitting mute on the call. I'll get to it later. I, I really, I, I want to listen to him. I want to hear his voice, but I'll get to it later when it's, a, when it's a better stage of life for me. When things aren't so cluttered and crazy, once I've tidied myself up a little bit, once I've got my house in order, then I'll take the call. Maybe when the kids grow up. Maybe when I'm better established in my career. Maybe when our bank account's looking a little nicer. Whatever it is for you that is a barrier to you following the call of God in your life, I want you to spend time and ask yourself seriously, is it worth letting that get in the way of knowing your good shepherd now? Is it worth waiting? The truth is we cannot wait we cannot wait because we need a shepherd like him today. We need a good shepherd who cares for us, who sees us, who knows us today. So we need a shepherd that leads. You know, if Jesus is the good shepherd, then what does it mean about us? It means that we are the sheep. That's not really the most flattering of analogies to, to give us about us. Here's, here's what I mean. Let me, let's watch this video together. I'm going to give you some running commentary on the life of the average sheep. So here we've got a shepherd. He's pulling his sheep out. Got stuck in a ditch. He's a good shepherd. Caring for that poor thing. Got stuck in there. There we go. He's free. He's free to live. There we go. He's off. He's living. Oh, oh, wait. Whoops. Whoops. Do you know how many stories I found this week of dumb sheep like that? I'm going to tell you one more just because they're so entertaining. This is a picture of Shrek the sheep. Shrek the sheep. Shrek the sheep is a merino sheep from New Zealand. And one day he didn't go out to get sheared with the rest of the flock. He wandered off on his own. He ended up living in a cave for six years without a shepherd. That's what he looked like at the end of it. No one to shear him, no one to cut his wool. It made it difficult for him to eat. There was all kinds of parasites that got caught in there. It was a disaster. But that's not all that happens to sheep without a shepherd. They don't just grow wool. Sheep, without a shepherd, will be prone to eat poisonous plants. The shepherd literally has to direct them to green postures because they, they're not smart enough to know. So they'll eat things that make them sick. If they fall on their back, sometimes they'll get stuck. They can't get up. Some of them will die because they just can't get themselves the right way up. They are vulnerable to predators. They're one of the most hunted animals uh, because they're really easy prey. Because if, if, if a flock of sheep are in danger, their defense mechanism is they all huddle together and they point their butts out towards the wolves. Great idea. 
that's just going to end horribly, isn't it? They are so dumb that sometimes sheep will just literally wander off the edge of a cliff. Just walk straight off it. We could go on and on and on. I could tell you more stories. But here's, here's what I want us to think about. Jesus has intentionally picked this analogy. He's picked it because he wants to tell us something about himself. And he wants to tell us something about himself because he knows something about us. That you and I are like sheep. Jesus says that in his ministry. He says that he, he sees us like sheep without a shepherd grieves for us because he knows that by nature we are dependent creatures we need someone to take care of us and the truth is if you and i don't find it in jesus we will find it somewhere else you're looking for a shepherd right now whether you realize it or not you're looking for something to give you guidance something to give you security something to give you provision you are searching with all your soul for a shepherd you need the shepherd that leads so jesus said to them again in john 7 or john 10 verses 7 through 10 Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus has come to lead wayward and foolish sheep into life. Now, Jesus mentioned a couple of times this phrase, this idea of thieves and robbers. They climb over the wall. They don't go through the door. They, they're not recognized by the sheep. And he's saying this purposefully because he was in the presence of thieves and robbers. Specifically, in the presence of those who had been charged to be shepherds, but had acted more like thieves and robbers. Acted more, in fact, like wolves than shepherds. It's not the first time that God has spoken this way about those that were supposed to lead his people spiritually. Listen to this passage from Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34 verses 1 through 2. This is God speaking through this ancient prophet Ezekiel. He's telling the people of Israel something important. He says, The word of the Lord came to me. And the word of the Lord is this. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? That's what had become of shepherds in Israel in Jesus' day. Selfish, bloated, far too interested in power and reputation than in caring for God's flock, teaching them justice and mercy and the way of God's heart. You see, what had happened is they had not understood their own need for a shepherd. They didn't understand that they were sheep that were wayward and foolish and that they needed someone to guide and lead them. And so they had become terrible at leading others. If you don't know your own need, for the shepherd, you'll never be able to shepherd anyone else. Honestly, we are in danger of becoming much too like them. We always read these stories and we wanna, we wanna think of ourselves as the heroes and the good guys and the, the, the people that receive mercy and care. The truth is we also have to recognize that we are just as much the Pharisee as we are the blind man. We are just as much the Pharisee as we are the hungry and the thirsty and the aching. We are just as much the wolf as we are the sheep. We have to search our hearts and look and ask God to speak about us. And I want to pause for a second to say something really important on this because we're in danger of this. I want to pause and say for a moment, if you have been wounded by your experience of church, if there has been a shepherd in your life, including me, who has caused you to doubt the goodness of God, who has caused you to be fearful, for you to feel rejected, less valued, if you have suffered under the shepherds, 
of God's church, I want you to understand, and I want you to hear Ezekiel saying it too, God sees how you feel, and he is deeply grieved by it. In fact, he is filled with righteous anger about it. There is nothing that grieves God's heart more than seeing those who are supposed to care for people, wounding them and leading them astray. And that's why we must be so careful to look into our own hearts and ask God, invite the good shepherd to say to us, have I shepherded like you? Have I walked with you? Have I followed you in your way? It's not just pastors. If you're a Christian, then you are an under-shepherd. I'm an under-shepherd too. Every single one of us who follow Jesus, we're not the the real shepherds. We are simply under-shepherds following the great shepherd. But all of us who are called to follow Jesus are called to shepherd someone in our life. Remember what Jesus said to Peter after he rose from the dead? He said, do you love me, Peter? Peter said, yes, of course, Lord. You know that I do. He said, then feed my sheep. That's a word for all of us. Who in your life has God put around you to care for, to shepherd, to to feed with the truth of the gospel, with the the love of God, the mercy of God? How are you pouring yourself into caring for the body? Put that in your back of your mind and ask yourself that this week. But I want you to see something else. I want you to see God's response to this lack of shepherding. He cares so much about leading his sheep. This is what he says through Ezekiel 34 again, verses 11 through 15. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I want to fast forward just to verse 15 there. I myself will be the shepherd of the sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. God's response to sheep without a shepherd is to say, I will do it. What men have failed to do, I will do. Hopefully now you're beginning to feel some of what those listening to Jesus felt. Do you see what he's saying? The religious leaders saw what he was saying because they knew Ezekiel 34. They knew Jesus is saying, I am God. I am the one whom Ezekiel warned you was coming to shepherd the sheep rightly. Do you recognize him? That last line of of Ezekiel 34 that we read, verse 15, says, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I will make them lie down. Does that remind you of another passage of scripture that's very famous? Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. See, the shepherd comes to bring rest to his sheep, to provide for their needs. Jesus says it right there in verse 10. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Jesus' leadership in your life, it's not intended to stifle you. It's not intended to strip joy from you. His leadership is intended to deepen and strengthen your joy. Every command that Jesus has ever given is an expression of his commitment to our joy, to life abundantly. And anything less than Jesus cannot give you abundant life. In fact, when you look to something less than Jesus for life, it will often only bring you pain and destruction. In the Chronicles of Narnia, there's a book, The Silver Chair. It's the one book in the series that most people tend not to have read. But it's got some really interesting things in it. If you're familiar with the story of Narnia, it's written by C.S. Lewis. 
and it's a series of books that often kind of have allusions to Christianity. Aslan, of course, is the great lion, the king of Narnia, who is kind of an allusion to Jesus, the great king. And in the silver chair, this young girl, Jill, meets Aslan for the first time. And she's, she's really thirsty, and she comes across a stream, and drinking up that stream is Jesus, or Aslan. <sighs> the two synonymous in my mind. Aslan is drinking from the stream. So Jill looks over at this terrifying lion, scary lion. She says, uh, she says, it's so scary, I don't come and drink. And Aslan says, if you don't come and drink, you will die of thirst. Oh dear, said Jill, I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. There is no other stream, said the lion. What C.S. Lewis is trying to help us understand is, Jesus can be intimidating, he can be scary, he can be overwhelming, but only with him is abundant life. There is no other stream. There is no other place to go. So this week, I want you to ask yourself, have you joyfully received the leadership of Christ in your life? Have you received the leadership of the one who wants to bring you abundant life? In your parenting, in your marriage, in your career, in your bank account, in your political life, your social life, in your recreational life, are you willing to obey everything that God has asked of you in those areas? Are you willing to submit to his leadership? Are you willing to put yourself under the care of this shepherd who leads you? God wants life for you more than you want life for you. That is what the good shepherd is asking you to surrender to, the truth that he wants life for you more than you want life for you. And how does he do this? How does he bring us life? by laying himself down. He is the shepherd that dies. Climax of this little speech that Jesus is giving, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. Then the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice so there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my father. So much just in the last two verses, the reaction of the crowd, whether they recognize him or whether they don't recognize him, they say there was again a division amongst the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon. He's insane. Why listen to him? And others said, these are not the words of one who's oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? They're still so confused about this good shepherd. Jesus isn't confused. Jesus knows to be a good shepherd, to lead his people, it's going to come at great personal cost. We imagine our real heroes to be just totally victorious, beyond harm, right? That's how the Jews thought about the Messiah. They thought the Christ, when he comes, they'll have victory over Rome. There'll be nothing that can stop him. He'll be invincible. Many of you know my favorite uh, superhero, Superman. A lot of people don't like Superman. They're like Batman. 
I promise that this ridiculous analogy is going to go somewhere meaningful. But uh, I, I like Superman, but people don't like Superman because he's invincible, right? Like he, he, he never gets hurt, nothing can hurt him, and he, he overcomes everything with great ease. But Batman and other heroes like that, he, like, he struggles, right? Like people like heroes like Indiana Jones and John McClane, like these heroes that, that risk something, have to struggle against something, it, it comes at a cost. And the reason why is because we know true heroism involves great cost. True courage requires great cost. Jesus is not God come invincible to the, the pains and the burdens of this life. He has come to absorb them, to take them upon himself, to face them in ways that none of us could ever face them. Jesus is saying in this passage, when he's saying, I'm a good shepherd who lives down my life, he's saying, I am going to face those things that are far too ugly and frightening for any of you to look at. And it's going to cost me my life. To truly lead, he must die. He has to stay wherever the shepherds would run. When the wolves are coming, he stays because these are his sheep. Mentions in this teaching that he has sheep not of this flock. That kind of slides past us, just an interesting thing that he says. Religious leaders would have known what he was saying. He was insinuating that he was going to bring Gentiles into the family of God, people who are not ethnically Jewish. And in Jesus' day, to say that to a Pharisee as a Jewish rabbi was a huge no-no. And in fact, this might have been the moment that they really began to think, we have to kill this guy. Because he is insinuating that God, a holy God of heaven, would bring sinners into his family. Jesus knows that that is exactly what he is saying. He knows the purpose of what he's saying. He knows that to truly shepherd, he's going to have to face the wrath of religious leaders. He's going to have to face the wrath of the wolves to care for his sheep, to protect his sheep. You see, they are failing to recognize the heart of God. They are failing to recognize the call of God. They are failing to recognize the leadership of God. They don't see what it truly means to be a shepherd, and that's why they're failing to be shepherds. But Jesus sees. Jesus sees that to be a shepherd, you must lay down your life. And to close this morning, I just want to talk about three things that should stand out to us about Jesus laying down his life. Three things. We can hear Jesus say things like that and we've recycled the story so much that we just say, yes, of course, Jesus lays down his life. He lays down his life. That's what he does. But this should, every time we hear it, it should shock us. It should make us tremble. It should shock us for three reasons. First of all, what Jesus is saying is laying down his life is voluntary. He's choosing to do it. It says, verse 17, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. And verse 18, no one takes it from me no one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord and I have authority to lay it down and to take it up again. The sacrifice of Jesus is entirely voluntary. It's not forced upon him by Jewish religious leaders. It's not forced on him by Pontius Pilate. And it's not even forced upon him by your sin. He is not obligated to die for your sin. He chooses to die for your sin. He lays himself down of his own free will, voluntarily. He's saying now, before any of it begins, before they even reach Jerusalem, I'm in control. I know what I'm doing. I'm doing it intentionally, and I'm doing it purposefully. That's just the second thing that's important about him laying his life down. It's purposeful. It's not just an example. It's not just Jesus doing some extravagant display of courage and humility so that we can go, wow, what a great example. He's doing it because we need him to do it. We need to be replaced because if he doesn't lay his life down, we're going to lay our life down. 
And so Jesus purposefully, he puts himself in the position of the sheep and says, I will face the wolves that you can't face. I will lay myself down for you. If you want to confront the deepest brokenness in your life, bring it to the one who lays himself down for you. Let him put himself in your place. And lastly, this is important because it shows without a shadow of doubt that he has great love for us. Incredible, unfathomable love for us. It says in John 15 to his disciples on the last night that he spent with them, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. The good shepherd is good because he loves us. He's laying himself down as a demonstration of this. I want you to hear this. You're not a disappointment. You're not a burden. You're not a thorn in his side. You're not a weight on his shoulders. Hebrews tells us for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. The joy, your joy to him. Yeah, well, yeah, but what about my sin? Doesn't that, doesn't that burden him? Doesn't that weigh him down? No, he knew about it from before the foundations of the earth. He has seen every sin you will ever commit. He knows you better than you know you. He knows the sins you haven't even committed yet. The ones you haven't even dreamed of in your head yet, he's seen them already, and he has said, I choose to love you. I choose to be committed to you, to be faithful to you. Anytime you feel unloved by God, you confront that lie with the knowledge of the good shepherd who gave himself up for you. I've been really struck the last few months by Galatians 2.20. It's one of those verses we, we say a lot. It gets printed on mugs. It's a really nice verse. It says this. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. Those words, if you let them, will transform you. Because it's telling us that the way you find life is by trusting yourself to the shepherd who lays himself down. You live through following him by placing yourself in his care. Isaiah tells us, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way to find nourishment for ourselves. And Jesus is saying, I know you. I know you better than you know you. I am what you need. He is a good shepherd. And he is calling to us all today to come after him to acknowledge our need for a shepherd and to put our hope in him. If you hear his call today, don't harden your hearts. Don't press mute on the ringtone. Let that call speak to you of his great love. Let that call speak to you of his leadership. That he can lead you towards abundant life. Let it speak to you about his great love that he is willing to lay himself down for you. Follow him and find life abundantly. In a moment, we're gonna come and take communion together to remember this good shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep. But before we do, Luke's gonna come up and he's gonna lead us in some worship. I'm just gonna pray for us. We're gonna sing this song and get our hearts centered on the good shepherd because we can come to this too quickly. We can rush through this, but this morning, I just want us to, to sit and let it speak to us, fresh again. He's a good shepherd who lays himself down for us. That's what we remember every time we come to the Lord's table. We take the, the cup and the bread and the cup. We are remembering the shepherd who laid himself down. And I want to let you know this morning, if you are uh, new with us, this isn't our table. All that's needed to come 
is that you confess your need for this shepherd. If you do that, you are welcome to come. If you're still wrestling with that, I would ask you just to reflect in your own heart. But you should have received a cup when you came in. If you didn't, if you just want to put your hands up as we worship and the, the ushers will come by and, and uh, give you one. But let me pray and then we'll, we'll worship together. Father, thank you. I thank you that you are the good shepherd who sees your sheep and calls them by name. Father, I confess my need to be led by you. I confess that I am a sheep that so often wanders off. But I praise you this morning because you are the good shepherd who sought me out and you sought us here in this room out, calling us back to your care. Lord, we pray that as we worship, as we come to your table, that you would renew us, that you would give us the ability to recognize you. We pray in Jesus' name. thank you for joining us for worship today again it's good to be with the saints it's good for my soul I hope it is for yours on the way out our heart at this church is not simply to gather on Sundays but to join together in community and to pursue God to follow this good shepherd and just a couple of ways that you can do that in two weekends here at this campus we're going to have something called Easter Extravaganza it's a family event for people to come and hear the story of the gospel we still need some volunteers we would love for you to join us and celebrate the story with us but if you're able would you go by the welcome desk today and let them know that you can help out? It's going to be a great opportunity for us to share the love of God and the gospel with our neighbors. And then coming up real soon, I know it's just around the corner, it feels strange, our Easter services. If you haven't signed up yet for our Passover experiences, we've got a few spots left. If you haven't managed to, I want to encourage you to let you know we're going to have a Holy Communion service on Friday as well for those that can't make it in the Passover experience where we'll worship together and grieve the Lord's death together forward to celebrate on Sunday, Easter Sunday. We'll have a 9 and 10th day service here at the church. We'd love for you to join. You can pick up one of these invitations as well to share with others. But we're glad that you're here with us. We want to walk after our good shepherd together. So let me pray for us and let me leave you with this benediction. May we go in the name of the good shepherd. The one who lays himself down for the sheep. May we hear his call. May we follow his lead. And may we know him better. It's in Jesus' name that we can't help but think amazing grace is for everybody else. I tried to run from Jesus, I started